You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 320. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hey Sam, hey Sam. I am mostly from Europe. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, so intro. am I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, maybe too, I believe. <laughs> right, yeah. so how are you guys? Everything well? I, well, I, no. won't, I will ask Andras later. Annika, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm good. It's good. raining, but it's good. <laughs> yeah, we had a hailstorm this morning. It was terrible. Ooh. It was like Ooh, craziness. Wow. We had snow on April 1st. <laughs> Yeah, on right. April 3rd, we, we did have a, a hailstorm as well. Yeah, uh, nice. yeah that was pretty <laughs> <Not> good. <laughs> and some snow, some proper snow. Really? It was the, <laughs> yeah, everything was white when I woke up on the day of our parliamentary elections. Mm-hmm. So, and then it went worse from there, right? Yeah, it went absolutely, absolutely downwards from there. It looked okay during the day because there was a, a, a nice big turnout. Mm-hmm. Close to 70% of the people of voting age uh, went to cast a vote. Mm-hmm. But then the results started to come in. Mm. And guys, I have to tell you, we are massively fucked. Yeah. We have at least four more years of Orban and his regime, which means that and he's already been in power for 12 years. And he already had a four-year period at the helm between 1998 and 2002. So this is his fifth time as a prime minister. No one in Europe has had that before. I mean, since the Second World War. No, he must be very good (laughs) then, because people keep re-electing him. (laughs) Yeah, he's very good at something. Mm -hmm. He's very good at propaganda. He's using everything in his power. You probably know that by now it's it's well known all over the world that uh, Hungary's government is in control of ninety percent of the media outlets in the country, written and electronic. The terrible thing is that the opposition parties they teamed up. All imagine that all the different opposition parties standing up for something completely different in some cases. They teamed up. They made a proper pre-election, like a primaries were done. And it was done properly. And for every seat in the parliament, they came up with the best possible guy or woman. So it's the the best possible person. And yet, it was not enough. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure, even though I saw many, many people lamenting on why this could happen, I do think that they massively underplay the importance of Orbán's control of media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only media, he controls the judicial system, he controls the tax office as well. Everything is controlled by him. It's not a massive surprise that this could happen because if you see, if you look at the map, everything except for the capital has been won by them. So they won everything except for the capital. Everything. Huh. Hmm. Maybe it's really time to have like an Andras rants about Orban segment. <laughs> if we have to do it for another legislation period. No, you know, what that reminds me of is that we have not done enough. I mean, skeptics. We have not done enough to try to counter the effect of propaganda. Because we set out to do exactly that. I mean, not specifically in terms of politics. Because we mostly are focused on pseudoscience and pseudoscientific claims and debunking stuff. But the question is, and I would really like to hear your opinions, and if someone out there listening to this has an opinion on how you can reach people who are in the bubble, inside the bubble, and they do not have access to other sources of information but whatever the government is controlling. First of all, not not just have access to, you have to be willing to listen to it as well. Exactly, exactly. So That's access, I think people do have access if they really make an effort, but why should they? But I think the, yeah. the reflection that we can make on this and also what's happening in Russia is that propaganda actually works. Mm-hmm. And it's not yeah. like, it's not that people are stupid or so. Everybody is susceptible to propaganda 
That's uh, right. Even you and I and us. I mean, we all, I don't know what to do about it, except mm. banning propaganda. But how do you do that? You yeah. have to start in schools, I think. You have to make people more skeptical. Not yeah. only on April 1st. <laughs> yes, that's right. But what if the government is also controlling the schools and the message that goes yeah. into the schools? We, he- we heard last week about the Russian schools that are now being targeted. So they are made to stand up and, and do chants about how fantastic Putin is and things like that. Yeah. How, how do you combat that? And yeah. uh, how do you combat the word being spread at church? That's that's another thing. Mm-hmm. And it, actually, everything is played out as Putin would do. Everything is basically a complete copy-paste of what Putin is running his country on. Yeah. I, I think the problem is that it's not hard. You just have to be willing to do it. And decent people are not willing to do it. But if you yeah. if you have no exactly. scruples, it's pretty easy, I think. If you have the power to do it, you can do it. It's not rocket science. Yeah, but this has the potential to drive people towards the extremes, even if they're on the opposite side. Because they, after a while, they get fed up with being decent and not reaching the goal, not getting anywhere with being decent. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Remember, there's a polarization is a big thing happening all over the world, I think, (laughs) at the moment, and has been for a while. Yeah. I don't know how to counter that once you start playing the fake news card you know remember that when trump started doing that yeah he started calling everything fake news that he didn't agree with yeah and it worked yeah so a lot of people were driven to that conclusion that everything that is contradictory to what we say is obviously fake news and it's happening here in hungary as well it's been happening for a while but now i really feel like we need to do something about this and we are i think us skeptics because of the knowledge that we have gained through countering misinformation, countering fake news and pseudosciences, mm. we are the most well-equipped people to try to find a solution. We just need to find the way to spread the news and spread the word and, and send the message through. Yes. So, and I know where to start. Yeah. How, how, how? In yeah. Vienna, in September. <laughs> there will be good. the European Sounds Skeptics good. Congress and we will all be there and everybody listening to this show should also be there. We have now, and I say we because Anders and myself, we are part of the organizing committee. We have now released the tickets. The program is there. The tickets are there. You can go to exo.org and you can buy your tickets. It will start on the 8th of uh, September in the evening with a quiz. And then there will be full Friday, Saturday and half of Sunday activities. And you can even stay Sunday afternoon. There will be some extra things there and one of the reasons to go there first of all there's some fantastic speakers coming in there i I counted it's around 25 or so and these are really really good people but also go there to meet other skeptics a lot of the fun stuff happens or the really educational stuff happens in the breaks and in the bar and in the coffee breaks So uh, there will be a number of topics. The skeptics movement will be handled in one segment, skeptic movement in Europe specifically. There's one called dealing with uncertainty, which is about, well, Mm -hmm. science. Uncertainty. (laughs) Nothing is really certain. And that's something we have to handle somehow. There is science-based decisions in politics. Andras, this is your favorite, right? Yeah, this is this is my pet topic, and yeah. I came up with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I have my own pet topic, which is skepticism in the classroom. So it's about education and how do we not only convey skepticism to the students, but also to the teachers, because mm-hmm. they yeah. need to be the... They are really the messengers, cool. so if we oh, don't yes. have them on, on board, what do we do? I had an anti-vax biology teacher. <laughs> For instance. <laughs> biology. For instance, yeah. It's a yeah. Big, big deal. It's mm-hmm, a big deal. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there will be also sessions about recreational drugs. Are we really using the scientific methods to counter the problem of recreational drugs? Maybe not. By creationists. <laughs> but, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And um, science and the environment is one thing. And then there's a session on conspiracy theories because it is happens to be a 9-11 on the last day, the 11th of <laughs> September. So uh, that's one reason why we are talking about conspiracy theories. But it's going to be a great time. I hope everybody's going to come. As yeah. I said, you can go to the website now, exo.org. So that's 
ECSO, ecso.org. And of course, there's the link in the in the show notes and you can sign up. Yeah. Please do so. And uh, I'd, I'd like to add, because yeah, Pontus is too modest to say <laughs> that out loud. Pontus was the one who was in control of sharing the information on the website. So we, we all work together, the board of EXO. We have been working together for a long, long time, and we will, st- we will still have a lot to discuss and go through. But Pontus took upon himself this task and um, executed it very well. So congratulations mm. and thank yeah. you so, very much, So if Pontus. the website doesn't behave properly, you know who to blame. <laughs> But I, yes. <laughs> I happen to know a little bit about how WordPress works, and uh, it was a bit tricky. Wonder I had to why. set up the the link <laughs> to so that you can sign up with a credit card and things like that. But I, I think it works. And if it doesn't, there are ways to contact me or the organization to say, "Hey, this didn't work." But I think it works now. <laughs> and we have to mention that it is supposed to happen in person. So everything in person in Vienna. That's Do you right. think we will be wearing masks? Well, good question. <laughs> we will be following whatever local uh, regulations that are in place at that time. So maybe. Okay. You should be prepared that that could happen, but we don't know yet. Yeah, and the thing is that we know definitely that masks do work. I read a study about 36 volunteers aged 18 to 29, and they were infected with covid voluntarily and then housed in a quarantine unit and they found out several things i will only keep it very short because we're not in the news segment yet they found that there were different symptoms like different outcomes of symptoms but they also found out how critically important face masks are because even the non-symptomatic people had viral output and lots of that so it, it really showed again scientific proof that masks do work, despite, interestingly, that Germany decided to make them voluntary now. Hmm. Okay, yeah. good. I must say, in Sweden, we were never very good at wearing masks, uh, <laughs> due to the recommendations never really <laughs> pushed for it, which I believe is was wrong, but they didn't. And now, whatever regulations we had have are now uh, all of them scrapped as of 1st of April, so mm-hmm. nobody's wearing them. I, you can't find a mask in Sweden, I think. Well, <laughs> no. mm, okay. Which is unfortunate. Okay. Interesting. Mm. But they do work. <laughs> yeah. But some people still doubt that and not even doubt that but say it out loud that it's uh, it doesn't mean it definitely even make sense to do so and we have a lot of those people in hungary some of them actually and that is another thing that shocked me with regards to the recent elections that uh, our homeland is the name of the extremist right-wing party that made it to the parliament which was not even did not even exist in the last elections. So it was formed since then, like a branch of um, or a spin-off from one of the original right-wing extremist right-wing parties. So now we have extremist right-wing party as well as Orbán's Fidesz. So together they almost can have four-fifth majority if it comes to that. So it's, it really sounds bad now. But I, I don't want to cry through the whole episode <laughs> about the election results. However, I'd like to mention something. A lot of those people who are COVID deniers, who are the spreaders of misinformation, would like to show to the public for what they are. And this is the reason why we came up last year with the award Uh, that is called the Flat Earth Award. And last year's award went to a group of people called Doctors for Seeing Clearly. Mm -hmm. They were spreading all kinds of misinformation and they deserved the prize very, very much. However, this year, when we started the nomination process, which, which is happening in the Facebook group, turns out that they are currently ranking third and one of the members who happened to be the initiator of a new party that didn't make it to the parliament but they were running and he himself Georg Gödin 
So now, as an individual, he is leading the vote, like more than twice the, the number of votes he has compared to the others. So thousands of votes are we are to be talking about. And uh, yeah, so it's it's an interesting thing. The process is such that at the first round, we ask for nominations from the public, from our followers. And as we add the nominees, they can vote on them. They can vote on several different nominees as well. And when the two weeks of the the initial voting ends, then we will announce the five people or organizations with the greatest number of votes. And out of those, our select committee of the Hungarian Skeptic Society will decide who actually gets the Flat Earth Award for this year. Mm, And the award ceremony will take place on Earth Day, which is the 22nd of April. Mm, Okay, quite soon then. Hmm. Mm, yeah, really soon. All right, but I think we should probably move on to the rest of the show, which is <laughs> most of it. And uh, let's start with This Week in Skeptical History, also known as Twish. <laughs> And this is going to be a quick one, but I would like to say happy birthday to our colleague, friend. Um, by colleague, I mean skeptical colleague. He's an academic, so he's... <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we are not at the same level. But he's an amazing mm-hmm. person. It is Chris French. Woo. His full name is Christopher Charles French. He was born on the 6th of April, 1956. And we love the guy. So apart from being brilliant and an amazingly open and very prolific writer of uh, different articles and uh, academic papers, he is uh, the loveliest guy ever. Mm. And, And we've had him on the show twice actually on episode 48 and we're with a short interview on episode 98 as well but that means that that was 220 episodes ago so that was too <laughs> long, long overdue ago. to have him back yeah <laughs> so we should have him back at some point so a little bit more about chris he's a british psychologist and he's specializing in the psychology of the paranormal and especially on something that is very close to our heart that is extrasensory perception <laughs> but, uh, esp esp the esp but he's been consultant in tv shows uh, radio shows as an expert on a large array of topics including psychic abilities recovered memory telepathy ufo abductions um that's that's a very interesting one and of course out of body experiences but the, the list goes on and on and on if and on. you meet him you should ask him about exploding head syndrome Oh, yes. <laughs> That's something he has done investigations into. I won't tell you what it is. Ask him when you meet him. Yeah, talking about head, he's heading the <laughs> Anomalistic Psychology Research Unit at the University of London's Goldsmith College. He's a regular attendee at European Skeptics Congresses. I really hope that he will make it this year as well. Unfortunately, he's not among the speakers, but I, I hope it doesn't stop him from he, attending. He usually shows up at QED as well, so maybe we can get to meet yes, him Yes, exactly. So, And if you meet him, please try to talk to him because he's just the loveliest guy, really. Absolutely. And uh, we admire his work. He used to be an editor-in-chief of The Skeptic magazine, which uh, then was edited by Deborah Hyde and now is edited by Michael Marshall, also known as Marsh. So, um, yes, he was, he's a columnist for The Guardian. He wrote many, many science popularization articles. And uh, when he speaks at different conferences, it's really worth listening to him because he's a great speaker and very knowledgeable. So you will learn a great deal if you care to to listen to his talks some of them are online so do look him up chris french happy birthday again which is happening tomorrow as of the day of this recording unfortunately it will be yesterday by the the time (laughs) this goes out or the day after the day before yesterday but if you're listening chris we can't wait to see you again but with that i'd like to find out something new about the pope do you have something to poke him for pontus Well, yes, this time, actually, I was wrong last week when I talked about the Pope. Mm. I made a wrongful prediction. It's hard to predict the future. 
Frankie really did apologize to the Canadian delegation regarding the terrible residential school scandal in, in, in Canada, a scandal that claimed the lives of about 1,500 children, it seems to. Yeah. Um, we don't know exactly the right number. But it was also a traumatic experience for all the other students as well that just happened to survive. So, um, so he did apologize, but was it a good apology? That's the question. I must say it was more good than bad. It was long, and that's often good uh, when it comes to apologies. <laughs> it was. It used mostly good language, I think, and the reaction from the survivors were positive, and uh, it seems to have been a better apology than a lot of people expected, me included. The key part of this pretty long thing went like this, and I'll quote, for the deplorable conduct of these members of the Catholic Church, I ask for God's forgiveness, and I want to say to you with all my heart, I am very sorry, and I join my brothers, the Canadian bishops, in asking your pardon. End quote. So that, that's good. Mm. That's not a bad apology. Yeah. So I mm -hmm. have one objection to it, but uh, I also understand why it had to be phrased like that. The good thing is he's taking his, his personally asking for their pardon. I, I don't count asking God for, for forgiveness. I don't think that works, but that's my bias. The bad thing in this apology is that he talks about the actions of certain members of the church. So indirectly saying that it wasn't actually the church, it was certain individuals in the church. But I can understand why he had to say it that way. There is a key difference between this and uh, apologizing to Galileo, for instance, that we mentioned last week. Any now putting you on the spot here, do, can you see any big difference? What do you mean by big difference? Big difference in well, the, a the, difference the, in the approach that you have to take. Well, the, the Galileo happened through the actions of an institution of the church so mm -hmm. that is definitely part of the institution so it's not individual people it was an important institution of the church the inquisition that took action so um that's the thing that i can see uh what what else you're do you touching mean? on the key thing here and that is that it's okay to apologize for what the institution did way back like four or five hundred years ago because yeah, galileo yeah. is dead he's not going to sue you and that's the key yeah. If the Pope goes on record saying that we in the Catholic Church ah. are responsible for what happened, then okay. you open up for legal actions against the Catholic Church. Because it didn't happen that yeah. long ago. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And there are still yeah. victims, so talking decades survivors, still. who can mm. sue you. Exactly. So it's a legal issue. Mm. Didn't think of that. I just think if you would be really sorry, you would be like, yeah, sue me. Because I would gl will gladly give you money. <laughs> right. <laughs> you yeah. But I mean? it's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, as the leader of an organization, you have to also take a responsibility to guard that organization from harm. So, yeah, I understand mm. why he had to do that. I don't, I'm not a legal expert and I'm not an expert in Canadian law specifically, which we're talking about here. But um, I still see... Regardless of what Frankie said, I still see that, that the Catholic Church has a responsibility here because a big number of perpetrators like this don't just spontaneously show up and start to molest children. They are being facilitated by an organization that makes this possible. And it is a systematically, it happened systematically. And the, who was behind the system? Well, that was the Catholic Church. So I think there is a case to be made, actually, that the Catholic Church is legally responsible. Again, I'm not a legal expert, so I don't, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, so uh, that, that's that's how it is. But yeah. see, the, see the good part of this. Try to see the good side mm -hmm. of this. He heard you. <laughs> he was procrastinating this whole thing. Seven years. Seven yeah. years. Yeah, exactly. A couple of weeks after you started banging on this, <laughs> he ca comes up with an apology. Could be, so could be. I cannot think of anything else. It had to be you. It had to be me. Yeah, okay, that's <laughs> fine. Uh, I don't know. I, I will say one more thing, which is to Frankie's credit. So I'm giving him a lot of uh, credit this week. And that is that he said he will travel to Canada, probably already in July. 
and he will mm -hmm. uh, likely repeat his ap apology there in in person to a lot of people now there was a delegation coming i think there were looked like it was a, maybe 20 to 30 people but he's going there and and make good in a way and that's fine and welcome but that doesn't take care of the legal stuff and i think that will come mm -hmm. and that is also what I can hear through between the lines when they interviewed representatives of the indigenous peoples after the yeah. apology, and they said it's a good start. That's what they said. It's a good start. <laughs> and I think they're thinking about legal actions. Yeah. Hmm. I just realized that I'll be in Canada in July, so imagine how cool it would be to meet up with him. Yeah, try to get an interview. That would be great. You can poke him for Pontus. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> can I ask you for a Pontus Box of Pope live? <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's fine. I'd love to. Good. There's one thing I want to mention, too, in the apology that wasn't that good. I mean, this was probably eight pages if you printed it all out. <laughs> so it was, And most of it was good. There was one thing he said that I reacted against, and that was, quote... At the same time, I think with gratitude of all those good and decent believers who in the name of the faith and with respect, love and kindness have enriched your history with the gospel and your um, being the indigenous peoples. Mm -hmm. I think that was unnecessary. <laughs> Spend like it took about, I think it was about 15 minutes for him to read up the apology saying we're very sorry i'm very sorry and then at the end saying well yeah but we did something good as well we brought you god didn't we i don't think he had to say that that's unnecessary in that context anyway that's what happened i'm positively surprised that he did apologize and did it so thoroughly but i don't think it's over we will continue to um, monitor the case <laughs> <laughs> legal case that is yeah, okay. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. For poking the Pope once again. <laughs> and that leaves us uh, with nothing else but Denise. And I'd like to start with, yeah, obviously we need, we need to start with the war in Ukraine. We don't want to do reporting about the war because we're not on the spot. We don't know much about that. However, we'd like to point out a couple of things that might be of special interest to skeptics. And one of them is Russian state propaganda versus the truth. Well, this is a very tragic situation that is going on. I hope I'm not butchering the name of the town, which is Bucha, Bucha, probably. Mm -hmm. It is part of um, the Kiev Oblast. So it's basically the same region as Kiev. It is often referred to as a sleeping town for Kiev. And it's been under Russian occupation for a long, long time. But a couple of days ago, the Russians left the area. And uh, apparently what was left is not only a lot of ruins, but many, many dead bodies of civilian people. Obviously, as it is, it has been the case uh, for the last uh, month and a half or so. Uh, since the beginning of this invasion, photographs and videos are flooding the internet. So they, you can find them all over the place. Some of them are very disturbing. Bodies lying on the ground, some of them with close-range gunshot wounds in their heads, other people with their hands tied, some of them wearing white ribbons and all that. So this is an obvious case of civilians having died throughout the time that the Russians occupied the place. And obviously, the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs denies the whole thing. They mm. claim that there are no actual bodies. The whole thing has been set up. They were faked dead bodies. They were there already when we got there, right? <laughs> yeah, or they died during the fights when the, the Ukrainian forces drew the Russians out because they took back the, the city. But... Yeah, one thing that is obviously contradicting what the Russians are saying is satellite images from the 19th of March, so about two weeks before the retaking of the town by the Ukrainians. Because now you can take very detailed photographic images from satellites. You can actually see on the, the satellite photo from the same street where most of the bodies lie, lying there the same spots, 
where they were found two weeks later. So if they died during the Russian occupation, then it's definitely because of the Russians that they died. The nerve on these people to say out loud that they had nothing to do with it. Because obviously, if this is the case, then it's an obvious case of uh, committing war crimes. Killing civilians and especially torturing them, raping them and then burning the bodies is the, the... the most terrible of war crimes as well. Yeah. And they started claiming very weird things as well. The Russian Ministry of, of Foreign Affairs tweeted something like, it's very interesting that these bodies are not stiffened as you would expect the bodies to be after a couple of days. First of all, it's weirdly specific. That means that the, the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs knows way too much about what he happens to bodies himself. after... Oh. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, and the fact of the matter is that it's not the case. After a couple of days, so rigor mortis, which is, which we are talking about, that sets in a couple of hours after death, which will make the body stiffened. After a couple of days, when the, the muscle tissue starts decaying, it will go away. It will subside by then. It's also so crazy that they think they should post interesting trivia about the bodies, you know? It's just like, exactly. yeah. What? Exactly. It's ridiculous. And it's not even true from at least two points of view. <laughs> so. If you think that you don't have anything to do with it, then you can still post, oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. That's yeah. right. And the third thing that they have the nerve to claim is that not a single, and I quote, not a single local resident has suffered from any violent action. Fuck you. Well, that can't be true. Not even if you try to do warfare, if you can do it by the book, you can't uh, avoid it. You can't guarantee there is, no. yeah, it, that, there is an expression for that, it's collateral damage. Yeah. So right. it's claiming that not even, that's, oh. that's way over the top. This is propaganda, this is propaganda that we talked about, and it works, probably works. And the same claims will make it to Hungarian propaganda channels as well. I'm pretty sure of that. I don't usually follow them, but occasionally I check them out, and it's always the case. So the Russian propaganda is taken word by word by Hungarian propaganda machine and translated and just run all over the place. But now the Hungarian skeptics are there to set people straight, right? Yeah, we'll try. Mm. Uh, we've been here for, for forever, <laughs> and we've been here since Orban got got yeah, into power, right. and still we didn't get anywhere. All right. So. Okay. That's a failure. Yeah. More Putin. More Putin, more Russia. (laughs) And this is a time where I really miss Yelena. Well, I miss her all the time, but where are you now? Because now I had to read a Russian site using uh, Google Translate, and I hope I got it right. I'll get back to if I believe in this or not. Well, I'll get back to that. I found this news on a site called Medusa. But mm-hmm. the origin is from another site called Project.media. Project. So it's project, but without the J. I guess that's Russian for project, project. And we will link to both of them. The story is that Putin has over the years gone from not seeming to care too much about his own state of health. You know, he's been riding shirtless on horses, playing hockey in public, etc. So it seemed to be okay health-wise. But he's gone from that to starting to surround himself with a lot of doctors. Six mm-hmm. or eight years ago, the regular number of doctors traveling with him were, was around five, which was a big increase. I, I don't travel with five doctors when I travel. But lately, it's even, even more. It's said to be regularly nine doctors traveling with him and occasionally 12. So the question is, is he sick? About 10 years ago, according to this news item, he seems to have injured himself pretty badly, falling off a horse. And he's actually mentioned this himself, but then he brushed over it, said, no, it wasn't that bad. But after that, he was seen limping and he was disappearing off and on from the public eye. His personal appearances became limited in length as well. So uh, there were instructions that he would not appear for more than one hour at a time. Still, in 2017, he was still playing hockey in public at least once and was photographed as well, taking a pretty spectacular fall on the ice. But uh, he seemed to be okay and he doesn't seem like he was sick then, at least. But he has kept surrounding himself 
with all these doctors. And some of these doctors seems to be specialists in areas around the neck and throat, and especially experts in thyroid cancer, which is starting some rumors. Now, I don't want to spread misinformation, and it could be that all of this is nonsense. We should definitely take it with a grain of salt. But I must say that the report from Proect seemed very well researched with lots of dates and documents, some of which I cannot read, of course, because they're in the Cyrillic alphabet. But all of these things that link these doctors and their traveling to the same places at the same time with Putin. So that seems to support the fact that they are actually traveling with him. And there's another thing that gives this a skeptical angle, and that is that Putin's minister of defense since uh, 2012, Sergei Shoigu, maybe, I don't know how to pronounce that, (laughs) uh, he is said to have introduced Putin to some alt-med treatments, specifically one called (laughs) antler baths. And that was a new one for me. I've heard a lot of strange things, but going bathing with antlers, I didn't know about. <laughs> Never heard of it. With ants? But or with antlers? If you, know, if you can do it, it is happening. Everybody's <laughs> inventing new stuff all the time. And there is apparently this certain species of wapiti or elk in the region of Altai in Russia. It's way, Russia, it's way, almost halfway to China. So it's a long way away from Moscow. But according to some, you should take the antlers from this uh, wapiti and you should ground them up and you should take a bath with the, the extract from this. And Putin was introduced to this and has traveled back to Altai several times. There are traveling records for this. So we don't know what he did there. Proect says that they can at least verify the trips going there. So a little bit uncomfortable, as you can hear, because I only have this story from one source. It is being replicated in other sources like the Daily Mail <laughs> and the Sun. So you don't you don't really want to take all of those <laughs> too seriously. But their source is this. I've, I went to the source and it seems legit in some ways. But um, it could be fake, but it's an interesting uh, story. And I I wonder if we will get to know more about it later on. (laughs) We'll see about that. Something that's also interesting and something we know a lot about already, but probably we'll also get to know more (laughs) about later on, is climate change. Ouch. Yeah. Never heard of it. Yeah, but there's a new paper in Oxford Open Energy about a study where they say countries can get to net zero carbon emissions by 2050 while still growing economically. Usually politicians and other people think that can't be, that that doesn't work. But in the past, the EU's economy grew by more than 50% between 1990 and 2016 while the CO2 emissions fell by 25%. So it is possible. And this study that was published in the paper, they had modeled various scenarios and the results were consistent with many 1.5 degree warming scenarios. So they found out that it is possible to continue economic growth while meeting the target. The thing is that there will need to be investments done But yeah, the global economic growth is compatible with achieving the temperature target. But it's hard because right now the fossil fuel price is really high and it's, yeah, fueling wars. You know what I mean? So it's really hard to to do something now where everything is a bit unstable. But it is a now or never thing. Mm -hmm. We have the technology to cut the emissions by 50%. It does exist, but it has to be done soon. Like, at best yesterday. And it has to be rapid, deep and immediate. So that we can still be under or at the threshold of the 1.5 degrees Celsius warming. So we are at a crossroads right now. We have to stop producing or selling fossil fuel. We have to try to completely get rid of fossil fuel, which would also help in the regard of not giving countries selling fuel more money to fuel their wars. So we, we have there will be decisions that have to be made and the decisions will either secure or destroy uh, the livable future. 
But the problem, I think, that we also started to talk about before is that the problem is political. It's not technological. We have the technology, but it, yeah, the ball is in the pit of politics now. So, right. as Andrew said before, we are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but I don't, I don't like the fact. <laughs> <laughs> no. You can look at it many different ways. Even if you say it will cost a lot to reconfigure our energy supply and do all of that, it's still cheaper than waiting for the shit to hit the fan and try to fix everything afterwards. First of all, you can't. But even just yeah. financially, it'll cost much more. And it's an investment. Yeah, yes, <laughs> it is an investment. And I do think that you can actually make money by yeah. creating green energy. Yeah, in the long run, definitely. In a way, the high, very, very high fossil fuel prices we are seeing now could actually help because that makes yeah. green energy more competitive and that can maybe make it quicker to happen. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And by the way, it was just recently announced that I think, is it was it wind energy? that just recently reached 10% of the global energy production level, which is it is amazing. It if is. that is That's the a lot. case, it is absolutely amazing. Mm. And uh, yeah, so this is why I definitely agree with that. It's now or never, because this is a... Um, I don't like to call such a terrible situation like a war an opportunity, but it is in terms of fighting global warming not the war itself but the sanctions that now everyone wants to set free from russian gas and oil yeah. yeah yeah it's like those people who can will now try to get like electric cars for example yeah as yeah. always it's like the poorer parts of the population that can't choose that suffer yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, suffer, of course, that's, of course, on a spectrum, so to say, like, not to compare with anything happening in Ukraine. Um, I meant financially yeah, yeah. suffer, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, financial suffering and the energy crisis, it just pops into my mind every time something Putin or Orban related pops into my mind. So uh, that, that this one is related to both of them. We have a nuclear power plant here in Hungary, which provides for 50% of our energy needs, and it will be extended with Russian help. Not only professional help, but financial help as well. It's a, a 12 and a half billion euro construction that we're talking about. Mm. And 10 billion out of that will be provided as a loan to Hungary from Russia. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So imagine that. This is how exposed we are to Russia and to the Russian economy. But the reason why I mentioned nuclear power plants is because there is a developing situation in Chernobyl in Ukraine, which is uh, about two hours drive from the, to the north from Kiev, the, the capital of Ukraine. And as we also reported on the 24th of February, right after, or what is the 25th, but right after the initiation of the occupation of, of Ukraine, they took over the Chernobyl plant with a massive force. And I think it was you, Anika, who said something about the elevated radiation levels around the area yes. Yes. that were published by the International Atomic Energy Agency. It turns out that it has been occupied since, and a couple of days ago, the Russian troops left the area. But the Ukrainian authorities claim that the reason why they left was because they could not handle the situation any longer. And one of the reasons for that they mention is that many of the Russian soldiers got radiation poisoning. Now, why would that be? First of all, a prolonged exposure to the relatively low radiation levels in the zone, uh, well, there are several different areas where the radiation levels are relatively high, but th there are people working shifts because it needs maintenance. It still needs maintenance after having been covered with the sarcophagus. Apparently, and this has been reported by some of the experts working on the field, I mean, at the remnants of the nuclear power plant, they claim that the Russians went through the Red Forest. You know what the Red Forest is? The forest no, around? I don't. 
The Red Forest is the area around the nuclear disaster of 1986, where the pine trees turned red because of the radiation they were exposed to. Most of the trees were cut down and buried, but then new trees started to grow out of the, the field, which they still contain a lot of radioactive material. So cesium and uh, strontium, I think. But the thing is that the soil and the dust in the soil is still very rich in radioactive material. So the reason why we saw elevated radiation levels at the beginning of the occupation was that the Russian troops went through the forest and went through the area and they disturbed the soil. Mm. And it ended up dust clouds getting up in the air. And the thing is that we don't have a confirmation that the Russian troops were radiation poisoned. But if that is the case, if they disturbed the soil and they ended up with lots of dust clouds around the area and inhaling that, that means an internal radiation exposure to their internal organs. And that is very, very dangerous. So the thing is that we don't have a definite proof that the reason for, for their leaving was that. But if that is the case, this could be interesting. And... One of the other things that are interesting, and this is why it's it's definitely a skeptical topic, or at least I think so, is that some of the people working at the site, being responsible for the maintenance, they claim that they talked to some of the Russian soldiers who were involved in the occupation, and they said that they were so young, they never even heard of the disaster that happened in wow. Chernobyl. It's not confirmed, but since in Russia, you would probably be able to grow up not hearing about Chernobyl happening in 1986, especially if you're under 20, which means you were born in in around 2000. That means that you could have easily been brought up not hearing about it. If that's the case, that means that the Russian military leadership sent troops through the area, not even knowing where they're going. That wouldn't surprise me, honestly. Hmm. So that's yet another example of crimes committed against your own people. Yeah. You're sending them to death. Because, yeah, it's safe if you stay out. The Red Forest is restricted area for a reason. If these people march through with heavy equipment, march through the forest, this is what happens when people are absolutely careless and propaganda does its job. Hmm. I don't want to make a joke about karma, but I'm making a joke about karma by just saying this, I think. So, yeah. It's <laughs> yes, just, but like, I wouldn't call it karma when it's on 20-year-old it's young exactly. guys. That's why I like, didn't so, want to joke about it, it because it's, 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 it is also horrible Yeah, for 20-year-olds who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, if, if Putin is going through a thyroid cancer, that's karma. <laughs> that, I would yeah, call karma. Big that. if, but yeah. Okay, but moving away now from Ukraine, from Russia, from the war, I want to talk about something fun. And that is that the winners for the flying unicorns are out. Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, the concept, the, yeah. the Portuguese skeptics, right? Exactly. So the, the Portuguese skeptics award the flying unicorn annually, and they award it to personalities or institutions spreading pseudoscience, superstition, and misinformation, and that several categories. And it's really interesting. The categories are, for example, shooting stars for TV, art, sports, or social world celebrities. Then another category for print media and its agents. Then Don Quixote, probably. I don't know. You, yeah, the, Don Quixote. Yes. The listeners can <laughs> correct me. This is for the most alienated statement or theory, refusal to face reality or defense of indefensible. And the king who goes naked. I think we heard about that before, about that category. (laughs) (laughs) This is for all others who contribute to spread dubious allegations. And the shooting star of 21 goes to Katya Avero, a pop singer, who says that the pandemic was the biggest fraud despite her needing hospital uh, after her COVID infection. So she's in on the conspiracy herself then? Apparently. (laughs) Okay, that's impressive. You mean jokes on her? Mm -hmm, Jokes (laughs) on her, yeah. In the print media category, the psychologist Joanna Amoral-Diaz 
won this category because she doubts the pandemic and the safety of vaccines and even wasn't shy of comparing the Holocaust victims to the unvaccinated. Our favorite comparison. Don Quixote went to Rui Tonseca Castro and I'm, I'm butchering all of these pronunciations, so I'm really sorry. He is a former judge. He denied the pandemic provoked the police, pretty much lost his job as a judge. Because of um, that, he created an organization called Habeos Corpus and continues to use social networks to post about conspiracy theories, so like a real ray of sunshine. And the Naked King goes to Fernando Nobre, who is a doctor and former candidate of the President of the Republic, He's a COVID denier and he made wrong statements about asymptomatic infections. He questions the validity of PCR tests and promotes useless drugs against COVID like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Yay. <laughs> and other good news are not only that the Flying Unicorn got awarded, but that the nominations for 2022 are now also open. Mm -hmm. There are several rules. For example, it has to have happened in 22. The person or entity has to be from Portugal. The person who is nominating the person or, or entity has to include links um, to articles or videos to just prove that that's what happened. Several appointments can be made and Comsep then will select candidates to vote from. So, yeah, uh, we put the links for the for the nominations in the show notes. But yeah, exciting things happening in that regard. <laughs> right, yeah. It seems to be a, a very clear theme on the people receiving the award for last year. Yes. It's all about <laughs> pandemic yeah. and COVID. All about pandemic, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I'm really looking forward to ours, uh, see, see how it goes, but I, I, I think it will be the same. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, there are other nonsense in the world. And mm -hmm. uh, we have talked about so-called conversion therapy before. Yeah. Mm. Something that is really bad, useless, and uh, harmful. The aim of conversion therapy is to change or suppress a person's sexuality or gender identity because, well, somebody else wants them to change it. Total nonsense. This is Because it's totally their job, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> because that's any of your business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It is promoted mostly from religious nuts who feel that they should, quote unquote, help LGBT persons to somehow change who they are. Every sane person thinks that that is um, unnecessary, cruel, and very much like torture, really. Plus, added bonus, it doesn't work. I'm, I'm reminded of the old cartoon with the mother asking her gay child to at least try to be straight for a month. And the son or daughter replying, well, fine, okay, but then you'll have to try to be gay for a month. And you'll see how easy it is. It's a bad idea. Don't try to change who you are. Not necessary. And don't absolutely let anybody else try to change who you are. So, to the story. For many years, the UK government has promised to ban conversion therapy, but it hasn't happened. Already Theresa May promised to do this. And last week, it was Boris Johnson's turn to finally make it happen. But on Thursday, that's the 31st of March, he suddenly announced that he wouldn't go through with it, but instead tried to combat conversion therapy practice with existing legal rules or, or something to that effect. And that was met by total outrage. So much so that after just a couple of hours, he had to take it back. But then he said instead... He would ban gay conversion therapy, but not conversion therapy for trans persons for some reason. I have no idea why he did that. Well, because he's a politician and probably somebody in his cabinet was objecting to it because they are conservative idiots. I have no idea. This cannot be the last word. You, you cannot allow harassment and torture against some people, but not all people. I mean... Then you should harass the whole population, right? Mm -hmm. So um, let's hope that they come to their senses and that Boris Johnson comes to his sense. I, do, I think he has only one and, <laughs> and just uh, follow through with what was planned from the beginning. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Something that's crazy in a positive way 
is Ooh. that Snopes actually posted a plan they have on April 1st. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Ah. Did they fact check it first? I think they did. And they mm. even said in the beginning that this is no joke. <laughs> um, okay. And I think I, I said it before. It's, it's funny because April 1st is the day where everybody is all of a sudden skeptical of news. <laughs> mm. And I wish they would just always treat every news item as, as they treated them on the 1st of April. And interestingly, April 1st is followed by the International Fact-Checking Day on April the 2nd. Oh. But what Snopes want to do, uh, coming back to that, is they want to expand their news coverage by launching a newsletter. They also want to update their archives because they are an important database. And they want to launch a mobile app. They also want to do more interactive stuff like quizzes and tests and so many more things. So there will be more updates coming and because we are all big fans of Snopes, of their fact-checking, um, we will also keep you updated then. Yeah, right. Yeah, and um, if you become a member, you can support their work. So uh, if you have a couple of euros or dollars to spare on a monthly basis, you can subscribe to their, their services, which will be a big help to them. But you know who else could benefit a lot from your financial help? It's uh, organizations that uh, support Ukrainians mm. and uh, Ukrainian refugees and people who stayed back in Ukraine but have to face hardship because of uh, the, the Russians destroying half of the country. So, yeah, the Ukrainian Humanitarian Fund, Razum for Ukraine... The Kiev Independent, which is a news source that, that still fights for spreading reality and spreading facts. UNICEF, of course, and Migration Inc., which is a Hungarian organization, and they help a lot with Hungarian refugees coming to Hungary. So, uh, yeah, we will share the links on the show notes. But if you still, you donated to all of them and you still have some money to spare, you can support us as well. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. You could go to patreon.com slash the ESP and there are different levels and there's a low level and there is, I think, no top level. You can donate as much as you want to. But the way it works is that you sign up to pledge a certain amount per episode that we release. But you could also set a, a cap for every month. So you uh, make sure that we don't yeah. uh, take all your money. So do that. We would be very, very happy for your support. Yeah, and we yeah. will not use it to go and have a couple of weeks off uh, in the Bahamas or anything. It's uh, it's it's for the equipment. It's for covering our expenses and all that related to uh, running the show, of to course. All right, <laughs> but that uh, but that has been all of the news that we wanted to share with uh, our listeners, and uh, that means that we need to find out who's been really wrong lately, Pontus. We have repeatedly complained about Facebook not suppressing, oh, yeah. yeah, and how they're not <laughs> suppressing fake news and bad information in the past. We've talked about this. And now, of course, it's Meta. That's the company who owns Facebook and Instagram and some other things as well. But they talk the talk, but in reality, everyone can see that it isn't working. A study by the Center for Countering Digital Hate, CCDH, found, for instance, that 80% of articles on Facebook promoting that the US is funding the use of bioweapons in Ukraine, which is fake, of mm. course, 80% of those articles were not marked by as mis misleading on Facebook. Uh, so that's just an example. We see it again and again. Now, Facebook's leaders, and we know uh, Mark Zuckerberg for one, they regularly have bragged for years about their AI systems and how they're getting better each year at proactively detecting false and fake content. So are Mark Zuckerberg only lying or are they just crap at implementing these AI systems? Well, maybe it's both, but there's new information that they just suck at their job. <laughs> <laughs> the Verge, which is an American technology news website, got their hands on an internal Facebook document, which may help to uh, shed some light on this. Apparently, a group of Facebook engineers has identified a, quote, massive ranking failure, end quote, which has roots all the way back to uh, 2019. A certain logic that was applied then has screwed up their system to some, po some extent. 
They say that the bug didn't create any noticeable impact until October 2021. Well, we can debate that, but that's what they're saying. But after that, they saw effects from this. So what the bug does is that instead of suppressing posts from uh, repeat misinformation offenders, people who regularly spread misinformation, it has instead promoted them. (laughs) Actually promoting and pushing for misinformation instead of downranking them as it was supposed to do. So the tech guys worked on this, of course, and they worked on the problem from October last year when it was discovered all the way until 15th of March when they apparently applied a fix into the system. That's almost six months to figure something out that like that. And then, of course, it makes you wonder, is it fixed now or are there more problems in their system? Will it break again? I don't know. But... We have seen and we have complained for a long time that doesn't seem to work. And now at least they have done something. But for accidentally promoting harmful content instead of downranking it and for taking half a year to try to fix it, if that's what they've done, Meta gets today's prize for being really wrong. Well deserved. And I should add, it's only five weeks ago. Meta got another really wrong award. So they're really uh, ooh, cashing ooh. in on their prices ooh. here. Ding, 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 yeah, ding. they're collecting the prices. Yeah. I mean, oh, they, they, have, they, have, or, they already have a collection of them. Nice. Yeah. It's a meta of meta. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they should do a meta study on this. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, uh, Pontus. Thank you. And that leaves us with one more thing to do before we go. And that is... To hear a quote. Annika? Yes. And a quote is by the aforementioned awesome person, skeptic, and colleague, Chris French. Mm. And it is as goes. Opinion poll after opinion poll tell us that the majority of population in one way or another do express belief in the paranormal. Most people in any survey will endorse at least one paranormal claim. Now, either that means that paranormal forces really do exist, or it's telling us something really interesting about human psychology. So either way, we should definitely take these types of claims seriously and try to understand what is going on. Yeah, that's a good uh, Mm. sentiment, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's smart. (laughs) I was following the written version of it, and I heard it through Chris's voice. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it probably didn't nail the accent in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> but it's lovely of you to share that quote, and it's very fitting since uh, we, we just congratulated him on his birthday. Exactly. Many happy returns, again. And as I usually say, may the blind forces of selection favour you and your genes for long. All right. Uh, thank you very much, Onika. And that brings us to the proper ending of the show. I mean... Uh, for this episode. <laughs> and uh, I thank you both, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Many thanks also to our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Everybody is sub sub what what are they? Susceptible? Sub, 
susceptible. Everybody yeah, yeah. is susceptible. <laughs> 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 nice one. In 2017, he was spilled. <laughs> Can't do it. That's a new one. We haven't heard that before. Uh, me neither. <laughs> Green energy, more compatible or more uh, not compatible. Yeah. It's like uh, for the, the Com- for the compatible. No, yeah. com- Com- word. Compatible. Makes competitive. 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 Uh, yeah. make- <laughs> okay. So let me say that again. Mm-hmm. Makes green energy energy makes green energy more competitive. <laughs> Wait a second. You jumped I think me. it was it would have been Onika's turn. Me. <laughs> oh fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Sorry. Um, but I'm mean, still going to another <laughs> It was a long time since I said something. I had it was my turn, I think. Okay. <laughs> but but it was a good it was a good segue though. Yeah. I can use it again. Dubious alligator. How is that pronounced? Allegations? Allegations. Allegations. Alligators. Yeah. <laughs> alligators. To spread dubious alligators. <laughs> the psychologist. Psycho- I really have a tongue in my. Uh, t- twist in my tongue today. You have a tongue in your mouth. Okay, <laughs> I have got good. a tongue in my mouth. Ooh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> when you congratulate someone on, on their birthday, they got. It was God- a joke, Anders. Okay, I know. Jeans. I was intentionally hearing jeans as his trousers. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew's also tired. <laughs> or or the joke may not have been that funny. Or obvious. Or obvious. Or obvious. I would say both variants are very interesting and we should definitely try to understand what's going on. <laughs> 